This podcast is part of the GWC Network. For more information on it or to check out some of our other awesome podcasts, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. After the tone, enjoy the show. This is Save Eureka, podcast number 14, Blink. So we're back again for another Save really? Eureka. Yeah, really, Yay! man. Really? <laughs> really? No. We're still doing this? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, good. So so, just, good night, just, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so they, we're just talking amongst ourselves. It's just, <laughs> yes, it's a podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not explaining that. So they, they named this episode Blink because uh, presumably uh, the popularity of... Oh, wait, no. Did the Doctor Who episode Blink, had that come out yet? I don't know. No. This was, was 2006, so no, this was the first Blink. Incidentally, for the couple of you who may not hear the uh, the uh, Master GWC podcast, uh, this is Shooter joining, uh, joining us watching this episode. Hey, y'all. Shooter! Who's that? <laughs> you wouldn't know him. He's a GWCer. Yeah. Pff, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I we were trying to think about that in terms of time setting this. Uh, the first thing I had read, and I may have read it on Wikipedia or IMDb or something, but I think this was supposed to be like the second episode aired after the, the post-pilot episode, and instead it got moved for some reason, production-wise well, or some crap like that. Didn't Zoe come in at the end of the actual second episode? Yeah. Right. So so that would have made no sense no, unless... No, 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 no. No, this is like the fifth episode or something like that. It was supposed to happen... What, what you're saying is that this would have been the second episode Correct. after the production got going. Yeah, in other words, there was the first one. This should have happened right pilot, after Zoe showed up. Then the first up. episode. Oh, okay. And then and, this one. Which would make more sense because this is kind of an introduction to the school and stuff like that, and, which yeah, I just alluded yeah. to before. And Carter introduces himself on the Monday Minute. Uh-huh. And Carter is like an outsider and he's already interactive with most of these people. Right, and uh, and basically you uh, realize that Zoe has a thing for what appears to be a cross between Elvis and John Travolta from Greece. I was thinking uh, <laughs> James Dean. No, and- no. That, actually, I, I was mean, thinking a little bit too. of James Dean in there. Maybe I, yeah. I was absolutely thinking that. No, no, you're right. He does look like him, but he's lame compared to James. Oh my oh, god, he's absolutely. so lame compared to James. He's like a lame. I'm version. just saying that's what I, he was I, trying I to do. You know? yeah. She's a 15 year old girl, and the, all she goes on at first is looks. She doesn't know anything about him, and she's attracted to him. I can't argue with that. That's well, what, could, kind of what I happens when you're 15. I mean, <laughs> you're just like, oh my god, he's hot. And then, like, no matter what he says or anything, it just doesn't matter. You're like, oh my god, he's hot. I'm a complete jackass drug pusher. <laughs> Oh my god, he's hot! Danny Zuko! (laughs) Yeah. God. Oh, me over here, lifters and some four barrel quads, oh yeah. No. That guy was lame. She's like, (laughs) thong, and then five seconds later, we are so over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, thongs do get everyone's attention. Especially when you yell them multiple times in the coffee house. (laughs) And through a public address system throughout the whole town. Something tells me that Shooter can really appreciate the uh, the teenage daughter kind of jokes in this. Absolutely. Been there, done that. Still doing it. I am really glad that, that this whole Zoe is an annoying teenager that doesn't fit in in Eureka doesn't last very long. Yeah. 
And and she comes in specifically with this episode into high school saying she does she's nowhere near the intelligence level of these guys. She could probably outdo everybody in the school. She just doesn't <laughs> Hopefully know Hopefully she won't outdo everyone in the school. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> wow. I, I think they also laid on the, the whole oh look at this this is an opposite from a typical high school thing with the um with like the uh the big muscly guy getting bullied around yeah. by the the, yeah, prototyp- those... or the stereotypical nerd That's... it's like really oh so you're gonna be that heavy-handed with it are you yeah it, it was a little heavy-handed that was true. biff getting beat up by um that was pretty funny by uh hey, mcfly hey, yeah. McFly, i think it's your new book <laughs> <laughs> shut up biff go ask my car again just putting on the second coat now. <laughs> and use that ugly green sweatsuit. Make it good for something. <laughs> that was cut. And, and that was Yeah, that, that the hit the cutting room, room floor. Yeah. yeah, just a little bit. Does anybody know if this was before or after the Stargate episode with the speed uh, bracelets? It had to be after, didn't it? It would, it would have to be after. So it's a ripoff story, basically. Oh. Well, everything's <laughs> a ripoff story of everything. I mean, remember the Simpsons. If it South came Park after, episode, therefore. Simpsons did it. Yeah. Yeah. If it came after the first one, therefore it was a ripoff of the first one, right? Well, if it came after any story set after 1987, it probably <laughs> if, if there's has one been thing done before in one <laughs> respect or another. If there's one thing about this episode that I think adds value to the series as a whole is you really get to see how Stark really cares about Kevin. Yeah, I, I and you know it's funny too because this is. When you put this in your mind back as as the second or third episode, it makes a lot of sense, you know. Like, like Stark is still sort of I hate, you know, I hate Carter mode. He must have said that about five times. I'm during really this getting episode. tired of this guy. Yeah, like I'm really getting sick of this guy. Oh, I'm really getting annoyed with this guy. Oh, this guy is really getting on my nerves. Yeah, and shut I mean, up. That's basically what I was saying the whole time. Just be quiet. Stop ragging on him. Behind his back, for for that matter, really, it was annoying. <laughs> One's like, you said, "Shut up!" And we all just were like, "Okay, <laughs> all right, man." It's not directed at you. No, I'm 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 thinking. You know, it makes more sense when he doesn't know him at all, and it's his first interaction with him, almost. You know, and and he's kind of making it clear they're establishing that 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 this is going to be a conflict and so on. And it feels kind of out of place, I think more so because we've already established that and we've already seen it actually start to melt a little bit. And, well, and now we're back. You if know? there's one thing that wasn't in the episode that I saw anyway, uh, between Allison and Stark and Carter, there was this th- no love triangle jealousy thing going on between the three of them. I, I didn't notice it. Anybody else knows any of that storyline yeah, in there? You know, I, I think I just, I realized something that I, I had kind of had a hard time putting my finger on before. And that's that Allison seems almost a little bit too oblivious to her relationship with Carter, you know, and either she must be doing it on purpose, but it's just funny because she's so attractive and you can tell that Carter likes her and she must know that. And, you know, she's emphasized that she's not with Stark anymore and she does all these kind of like flirty little things with Carter, but then acts like she's not really aware of it. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like um, this is like a terrible comparison, but it's almost like uh, those women who are like, you know, 25 years old and like just 
gorgeous and they they look like a model or whatever and then they just like pin their hair up and put on some glasses and they go in and teach like an at an all boys high school and then act like they have no idea like what their students are thinking you know you know what yeah. i'm talking about do, that's, yeah. that's what allison what is like in this you know she's she's like just so amazing looking and and carter's just again, like oh, all over so her. are many of the other people in eureka you know i mean this this place is pretty heavily staffed with with x models and <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't that's hot <laughs> i mean depending on what you're looking for you know I'm, I'm just saying i mean this is a relatively high you know target rich environment you know i maybe it's not so weird in that at least among the women i guess yeah those uh those uh twin balding scientists this that do it for anyone. Well, well I mean, later the point on, is, is you can so. pick out two or three people that aren't, and you and that's it. Whereas yeah, in real know, life, you'd be I'm lucky to pick out point. one that looks like <laughs> the people there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Which sort of I think makes it a little less weird that you know it's it's the general dynamics you know research slash modeling agency. Mm -hmm. Global global dynamics. Sorry. It's a it's a recruitment criteria. Got to look hot to work in, in She's Eureka. She's a GDB. <laughs> Ouch. We should save that later for uh, yeah for the later episodes with uh, Beverly. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. This was a Beverly Free episode, though. It was indeed. It was nice seeing Carter interact with Zoe throughout yeah. the episode. I mean, the freaked out father sort of thing because he's been absent in her life for forever. Yeah. And she yeah. just shows up, and all of a sudden, he's got to be dad. And not only just any dad, like Sean's a dad and Michaela, but a teenage daughter. Yeah. It, it's a whole different ball. Jumping thing. in at that point? Yeah. Ouch. yeah. I like uh, I like when uh, she he's trying to find the, the boyfriend, and she she's like, okay, I'm sorry. It was just one kiss at the end of homeroom. And he's like, okay, I'll freak, okay, out, about I'll freak about, about that later. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hey, did anyone else think of that uh, at the end when they had the baseball game? Did anyone else think of that Deep Space Nine episode? Oh, yeah. I, was, I, I wrote it down in my notes. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> this is actually worse than DS9 baseball. <laughs> I just, I always laugh at that because I love seeing everyone all awkward in their baseball uniforms like Nog and, um, you know, Quark. Kira. Yeah. <laughs> Fargo was a little... Quark holding the... <laughs> Or was it Rom that was putting the glove yeah. on the wrong hand and like <laughs> smacking the ball out of the air? Fargo was a little athletic, though. He jumped up pretty high to catch that ball. Yeah, and that's true. I, I kind of enjoyed how, I mean, I, I got the feeling when, when he looks around, when Carter looks around at the end, you know, he's thinking, okay, this is kind of lame. This isn't what I was really looking for. And, you know, he's worked to learn the game and now it doesn't really apply because they made it into a video game, you know, and a virtual reality game, whatever you want to say. Which incidentally it. was the episode came out about three months before the Wii came out. Yeah. Shooter had mentioned that. Isn't that awesome? That like the Wii was just a few months from being released. So it wasn't like it was just an obvious kind of, you know, reference to that. It was, it was ahead of it. Yeah. And, and, but he looks <laughs> well, around so and he's actually everybody sitting on the couch with the Wiimotes playing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would have been good. What were you saying, Chuck? Sorry, I tripped all over your point there. No, that's okay. I, I was just going to say that I, I think he looks around and, and kind of is a little bit, you know, distraught that it wasn't what he expected and then realizing that what he really wanted was, you know, to do something fun with everybody and for yeah. everybody to do something fun together. And they're doing that and that's cool, you know. 
which has a lot of connection to the DS9 episode as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And especially when the fun thing is pissing off a bunch of asshole Vulcans. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch the names of the teams? Yeah, yeah protons, protons and, neutrons. and neutrons. And so the balls of the electron. Ah. Yuck, yuck. Oh, da-da, da-da, nice. Da-da. Nice. Le- leave it to the rocket scientist to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking when we see Henry up in uh, the commentator stand and everything, you know, he's the guy who does the announcement over the phone. You know, everyone pulls out their little device and looks at the announcement. And, and he's the guy who kind of draws everybody together. And it reminds me of those moments in the Harry Potter movies, like, um, or, or in the books, back when things are better, you know, before it gets too, like super dark. And uh, you've got those Quidditch matches. And it's like this moment of community. You know, it's like those Quidditch matches, just like this baseball thing in, in Eureka, like really brings the community together. And it's a big deal because everybody's in one place at the one time and they're all watching this thing and, and they're all cheering. And it's kind of an important development. Um, and it's cool that uh, they use baseball as kind of the it's a very Carter thing, you know. Like it's this, it's this cool like pastime, and it's got kind of a folksy feel, but it's something that he loves. And then you've got this whole town full of geniuses, and and initially they're not into that. Like yeah. presumably they're just not into athletics that much. You almost got to wonder that maybe um, what Carter was trying to do was to use the baseball game to try to find people like him to hang out with. Yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, whether or not, I, I don't know if that was his plan, but it's it's a good way to do it. See, and I'm I'm totally down with the idea that that it doesn't have to be baseball or, or it doesn't have to be the traditional sort of thing, but you do need something that brings you together and yeah. gives people, you know, it wouldn't matter if they were all playing Halo or something together, as long as they're doing something. And it, I almost get the feeling that they weren't. You know, I mean, in that in yeah, that like early, Carter brings it to them. Yeah, you know, like in that early episode, there a couple of them get together for movie night at uh, what's his name, sir, Spencer's not appearing. Yeah, trailer, in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. right. At Spencer's trailer and stuff, but we don't see a whole lot. You know, even later, we don't see a whole lot of them doing fun things together. You know, well, right, and it yeah. isn't really until the uh, the the uh, time travel, the the um, you know the whatever party that they're having in the street where they. Uh, activate the time machine that you really see that well this come is, together that, that, oh, the that's founders kind of the day, first right? really yeah the founders day kind of that's the first time you really see a big community turnout well this is a secret government research and and development facility and you got to figure these these guys are working long hours so they might not have time to get together I don't know. Did you see that spot was in the pilot episode? Yeah. It was like in the spot GD in the back where they all had the robes and they were, you know, playing Plus, what, like horseshoes or whatever in the back. Here's a, here's a question I, I have. You can relax. You must do it by yourself. <laughs> it seems like, you know, it's funny, in an organization like that, you would think that they would there would be even more connections between the people there than normal because they just can't interact with other people outside. Both well, right. possibly not because it seems like a lot of GD is isolated from itself too. It, because, Especially with section 5 right. and that kind of thing. And there's a lot of competition. Yeah. yeah I can that's see the that. other point too. Yeah, like I mean Fargo and his team going up against the section 5 guys in this episode, they're not exactly amicable about eh, you know the word I was trying to say. And and the one Audrey gets back to your point just a little bit, the one the difference that i see between quidditch and this type of activity in eureka is in quidditch it's uh very confrontational at least in the harry potter books yeah yeah quidditch overall is supposed to be a fun event but anything to do with harry potter is 
uh, got some suspense and it's always got like racial and ethnic and bloodlines and vengeance and all this crap like built actually, in pol- politics of the school and you know what really backs up that point too is the fact that when we see the big game near the end and i'm not good with my harry potter timelines and everything but you remember later on in the series we we they're all at the big game right and you're talking quidditch and harry yeah. potter right okay yes sorry and and we see them walking around because you you think okay well maybe we're just being exposed to Quidditch in this hyper competitive environment but but like football can be hyper competitive you know at the Super Bowl right but you know or at, at the pro level but people play pickup football games but we never saw a pickup Quidditch game like you <laughs> think just, with all that land out around there that they would have been playing Quidditch you know there, there was a lot I'm of just, pro- go ahead one I was just imagining a witch in his late forties going man if I had only you know. I had only won that game. I could have gone on to state <laughs> or international competition. Yeah, yeah like the uh, like the uncle from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> yeah, in the books in Harry Potter, which wasn't it came out a little bit in the movies, but I don't think as much as it did in the books. Is there was a lot of practice time, and you had to schedule the field for practice time, and you only have so many daylight hours, and you're in school for. Oh no, I meant I meant in the general community, like like Quidditch was presented like other sports you know where it was a it you're was saying you've never seen a touch quidditch game yeah you know, exactly up in the park well it, these are witches they are flying around you can't just go to any park and play the game <laughs> uh but there was the international quidditch game though that happened at the uh the beginning of i can't remember the sixth or the seventh movie yeah that's what i was talking about i'm like you know they have it both in in uh, you know yeah it, just like football you know it's it's very active at the school level but it's also active on a professional level and they show that right uh, because of that game and then you imagine that like other sports like that you know it's also played casually outside so I could see them not playing it casually in the school but it seems to me what what I was saying would back it up is that at that event. You know, if that had been a football game and you had all that open area around there, people would have been throwing a football around outside. You, you mean like tailgating and that yeah. sort of thing? Yeah. And well, they were doing that. You know, they were all hanging out and doing fun things, but nobody, nobody was playing Quidditch. Well, it's kind of hard to play Quidditch without flying around, and it's hard to fly around and not get noticed. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess it's impractical for them to play the game. I don't, I don't think it would be. They're wizards, you know. They do nine million impractical things before breakfast, you know. Yeah. If they wanted to play Quidditch out in all that big open area, they probably could have figured it out, you know. Like, Fair like enough. it would be hard to, it, for us, it would be hard to build the big, uh, you know, rings up in the air, right? For them, it would be easy. Just to levitate a ring and go play. <laughs> True. I don't know. Or, or, or like, you know, it'd be like touch football. You said you'd have some kind of like bastardized version that was simplified to play for fun. Well, they you, just don't do that. You, you know, know, going back to the, the role that Carter brings to all this, I think that it's cool that, you know, in a way that that baseball is like Carter, you know, yeah. it's it's got that same kind of, you know, baseball is sort of nostalgic and it's very it's deeply rooted and despite the problems, I mean, despite the, the kind of recent problems with baseball the last 10 or 20 years or whatever, if you look at baseball throughout its history, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's it's like a family game, you know? It was the kind of thing that people always did with families and, and kids, like, you know, at the pickup level and all that. 
So I think that the fact that Carter is a big aficionado is kind of cool because it's very him, you know, it's, it's like classic kind of American or, or, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, he goes to this town where people don't seem to be into these kind of folksy community events that much. They do have the festivals, like they have Founders Day and they have competitions and they have science fairs and they have, you know, lectures and stuff like that. But it's hard to tell if they have any really non-academic kind of fun together. And it's cool that he brings that because you can tell that people really enjoy it. And it's kind of like one of the first times we see that. And like later on, we see Zoe doing a swimming competition. But again, it's yeah. it's like competitive, stylized diving. That's really what it is. You know, it's not like community fun. Um, and this is kind of a, the sort of thing that you associate with a small town, which it is. But instead of being uh, a small facility, it gets treated in this episode like a true small town. I guess the other weird thing for them is they wouldn't be able to play anybody else. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, not unless they brought in uh, another secret government organization like, oh, like DARPA the, or something, like the bo- <laughs> like the bowling or whatever it was later, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's interesting. We're having this talk about sports in Eureka, and all I could think about is Big Bang Theory and them playing Wii Sports <laughs> or you know whatever they the archery Wii bowling. Yeah, they get together every night as, as the four of them, yeah. and they do stuff. And I guess that's missing in Eureka and. Uh, Carter brings that to it. Carter brings a lot to your, I don't think Eureka would be Eureka without Carter. It, it, he's the central pivotal point for yeah, it all. I agree. Especially the way that we see the show develop over time. Cause I have to admit at this point, uh, early on as well, especially if this is supposed to be even earlier. Uh, and we see this kind of public address where everyone pulls out their device. I thought that was creepy. What she said. <laughs> I thought that was creepy. Like you hear this music and it's almost like everyone is sort of sedated for a second and they all like they kind of snap reminiscent of the cyberman episode (laughs) uh, doctor who yeah it's like it's like slightly orwellian everyone just stops what they're doing and they're all like oh look i will now pull out the screen on my device and look at it for three minutes you know and you're like this is weird and i think that carter like makes that something that's a lot more familiar and a lot more human uh it's uh Good to be here. Now, where uh, was the camera? I couldn't figure that out. <laughs> it was Zoe's phone. No, because because uh, he was looking at the phone and and the in front of it, just like your iPhone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but called a front facing camera. I know, but when no, it, it wasn't on there because when he was looking at the device, she had it turned over. I actually thought about that. Oh, I was like, where is the camera? And then if you look, she had flipped it over and he was looking at it. Like she, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like he was in front of her and she was sitting there and he kind of looked over her shoulder and then she went like this and he oh, was standing there and oh, looking, okay. flipped it okay. toward him. Yeah. I know. I had that same thought though. <laughs> I was like, he didn't have one of the devices. He's no. looking at Zoe's, but I still think it's awesome that, that apparently Henry figured that out. Yeah. And uh, later on in the episode, Carter pulls out his flip phone and makes a phone call. That thing looked antiquated. Oh, and that was in 2006, and we got smartphones now. Well, that's yeah, that was pre-iPhone, remember? It was so five years ago. (laughs) (laughs) He said rings are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Rings are cool. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I kind of thought it was creepy, too, and then on second viewing, I kind of thought it was okay in a way because... 
I mean, that'd be kind of cool to be able to have meetings like that where it's just, you you know, you everybody knows what's going on, but it's not a pain in the ass and wherever you are, it's okay. Though I have to admit the idea, if you wanted, if you wanted people to pay attention, being able to switch on anyone and put them live with everybody (laughs) at any moment, that would do it. It would also be crappy if you happen to be like, I don't know, on the John or something. In the shower. Doesn't that happen to Carter later on? In the series, I, I think, think it does. So, yeah. It might be in the the time loop episode. Is it? Yeah, where he gets paged out to come into GD. He's in the shower at the time, yes. I think. and he runs out of yes. shampoo or, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's right. Though, so. so, yeah, but it's just a different way to do business, and we're just not familiar with it. We're going to be, I I believe. I mean, we have the technology right now with the iPhone 4s. Fours, whatever, with FaceTime. It's just not everybody has it yet, but not everybody had TVs in the forties. <laughs> Remember the forties? <laughs> I still Chuck get does. creeped out by that that <laughs> massive public address, though, because it reminds me of like you know gold ducat or something popping up on one of those sand colored TV screens, and all the people across Cardassia tuning in or whatever. Yeah, the the important thing is that we must remain strong to defeat the enemy of the Federation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, although that's no less creepy than a, you know, like a presidential address or something like that. Though, so. No, so but see, a presidential address, like it happens, you don't have to turn it to but hardly it. anyone <laughs> actually listens to it. What they do is like they, they listen to the recap later on the radio or they, they catch the highlights on, you know, C-SPAN or they, you know what I mean? They read the, the briefing on the internet. All the people who watch C-SPAN, both of them. Yeah. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like when the, whenever there's a presidential address, I rarely like watch or listen yeah, to that's it live. True. That's true. It, it's become more and more frequent these days, which is probably underlying its importance or, or it's you, what you, the addresses have. Yeah. Or? You get insensitized to the importance of the presidential address because he's on every other week. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Back in the it's day. Like, oh, I'll just check it out on his blog. Right. And heck, most of the news outlets do a decent recap. So it's like, yeah, is my time more valuable watching Obama or reading the two minute recap afterwards? What would what would go into the creep mode would be if if all of those TVs then had cameras in them that could say, <laughs> and now let's look at average Joe number seven thousand two hundred ninety five. Like I said, Orwellian. <laughs> yeah, true. All right, point. Taken. I guess it is kind of yeah. That's a good point. Because that's the creepy thing in 1984 is in the beginning, like not only is there a TV on like every surface at every angle in everyone's house, but they're looking in at you and they're like telling everyone to do these exercises and the the main character like isn't doing them right and they they call him out. Right. Although I don't think that Henry figured out ahead of time that, oh, I'll just use Zoe's camera phone. It's like, no, I probably have, Henry probably has a program that's set up to detect you know, start scanning all of these cameras, figure out which one is attached that's pointed remotely at Carter and just do it. Okay. So he's probably got like this big kind of like uh, uh, the Dark Knight kind of style console that's just scanning the entire thing. (laughs) That's just what I was trying to say. Like this is too much power for anybody. (laughs) Okay, Batman. Yeah. Henry's Dr. Claw. (laughs) Talking about creepy, what about Joe's weapon choices? That's awesome. All the I knives. That. That's great. And her 44 mag on her hip. And that awesome moment where she's like, so you were just driving by in full camis. And, and night vision goggles? And night vision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, nice. That was just like, 
See, that was a good establishment for Joe, you know? Yeah, because so, Taggart's already established. Yeah, anybody that drives a truck like that, you know, is, is I mean, we already know about him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody find it funny that the uh, the act, the uh, abbreviation for the drug that they were taking was NPH? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Like well, they're taking uh, Neil Patrick Harris? Really? Was it N or M? I heard M. I heard N, but oh, okay. you know, my, my ears might have been plugged. So. I had bad ears, too. Be funny Actually, if it was. It I prefer to think of it as NPH. It's like they were all just watching episodes of How I Met Your Mother. Was that even on back then? I yeah, know. it must have been. Well, they're, in well, they're, they're on their seventh season, so yeah. Point taken. Yeah, I killed it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This, uh, this is one of those episodes, though. It's sort of like, uh, uh, it, you know, there's a big history of, of airing episodes out of order for various reasons and i don't i certainly don't think it's on purpose nobody wants i was just reading the wiki article right now and it wasn't the production team it was the uh the uh the network and the advertisers that were like well let's put some of the stronger episodes first and they actually had to edit out a reference in this episode to this being zoe's first day of school you know, I was thinking back in the 2006 time frame, and, and BSG was starting to wind down. Uh, SG-1 was, I don't remember when it ended, but it had been on for a while, right? About seven or eight years about that time. And this was sci-fi, one of sci-fi's attempts to branch out into its own original shows post the mega uh, SG-1 Atlantis slash uh, uh, BSG time frame and it was aired off season i believe from their normal shows so i remember watching it this yeah, it, it was a july to october run right so i remember watching this i believe flash gordon was on about the same time yeah yeah i remember that and, and other things and this was my favorite out of all of them so was this on on tuesday nights or friday nights uh i don't know um the season premiere was july 18th um, I don't know what day that is. Yeah, where's Rain Man when you need him? <laughs> I, I think yeah. that I think that was Friday nights. I think it was taking the place of of some of the stronger shows, and uh, I, I I liked it. So I'm glad they started with the stronger episodes. But uh, Chuck, you were saying that there's been a long history of airing stuff out of order. Yeah, it seems like there's a pretty complex process going on of trying to figure out the right way to do this. And and I, I wonder if there's not a little bit of a filtering mechanism in that when it works, you know, when they, they make those decisions well, you know, not always airing everything in the intended order, but rather making those decisions in such a way that it all pans out and, and it works well and we enjoy it a lot, that we just never hear about those, you know? Right. Whereas well, once we they actually do one and it sucks you know like in this case where you've got something where no matter how much you edit it it's just freaky because the whole premise of the thing one of the main premises just doesn't fit anymore and yet you got to stick it back in there and everything and then it feels awkward and it ends up kind of i don't know making the episode stick out and feel like a, a you know a wasted week or something right it, it depends on the type of show like you know um let's let's look at the extremes you got Battlestar Galactica where you really can't change it that much at all because you know it's got a very progress progressing storyline that that you need to play in order compare that to like the Simpsons where they're all over the place in terms of when they're written when they're produced and when they're released because there is no continuity 
Like, it really doesn't matter what episode you play The Simpsons in, just as long as the Halloween one lines up. And Eureka's kind of halfway in between there. It's like, if they do have a lot of really good standalone episodes, but they do have overarching character development and kind of background storylines, like, you know, Fargo getting promoted down the line, that kind of thing, that you can't necessarily change it up too much before you start to notice. You know, one thing I noticed uh, in this episode uh, along the Sheriff Carter lines was also uh, the, the interrogation. And he's using a low-tech, you know, beat, street beat cop technique of recording the conversation on a cassette, right? And Stark just berates him like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> cassette, yeah, right. right? And like, it, okay, he's, he's literally, I mean, he only, it's not hurting anybody. Why are you ragging on him for this? Right, and it turns out that it is that tape recorder that enables them to uh, to get the answer of the drug name, which leads them to the perpetrator. Totally, yeah. I mean, right, and that's very much like the kind of uh, it's very Carter. You know, later on they have more complex ways of doing that, but Carter is always the guy that just walks in and is like, you know, it, it, I guess later on too. One thing that's cool is they they start collaborating. You know. And you start having, seeing Carter's kind of simple but but very effective ideas backed up with all of the, uh, you know, high tech knowledge and ability and special abilities of the people there, and it gets really powerful. Yeah, you you go do the science stuff. I'll figure out how to do it, and and we'll make it happen. And also uh, talking about them working together, you know, Stark might have pushed back because of security clearance and, and this is my domain versus your domain. But when it came down to it, they, he did agree to to uh, shelve those guys in the cells in Section 4. And he... He, he did go with it. Yeah, he, he went with right. it. And, and, and he was reacting to Carter's own um, kind of arrogance as well. Like, you know, he contacts Allison instead and tries to keep the investigation away from GD. It's like, well, you know, this is likely a GD employee. It really is... They really should be notified, but he's still trying to do things on his own. So, you know, they're they're both kind of butting heads because they're both making these assumptions that neither one should be trusted. I have to admit, I kind of like Carter's uh, technique when Allison's like, be delicate now. And it's almost like, you know, these Section 5 guys have this delicate sensibility that you can't, you know, step on their toes in front of other people or whatever. And he's like, look, somebody's dead you know, projects the image onto the table and like, we're going to figure out what's going on. I, I kind of appreciate that because there's nothing more maddening than this kind of obstructionist, you know, highfalutin attitude, you know, like I don't need to help you because we're important. And, you know, and he's just like, I'm not going to put up with that. Well, and, and also, I mean, these people aren't necessarily nefarious. I mean, they're, they were just, you know, they're competing. They're competing heavily, and they're just trying to. Get, they were trying to get ahead, and things go wrong. And he lays it out for him. It's like, look, I know you did something wrong. Something screwed up. Let's figure it out and stop anybody else from getting hurt. I actually respect Stark for trying to protect his people. However, uh, let's not lose sight of the fact that there was a person that died, and we need to fix that. And actually, Stark mentions that to the researchers in Section Five. Says, you know somebody died i've got bigger things on my plate right now you know that's what's important and and so i agree with both types of stark moves there he's trying to protect his people yet he is focused on that but the 
general dynamics society as a whole was focused on the research and let's get the research done. And, and Allison, as you were saying, Audra was saying, Oh, you got to be sensitive about it. And he just walks over and like, Hey, this is the guy that died. When of you did it? Fess up. And you know, one, I, I think one thing that kind of factors into this, and I'm kind of a fan of Stark. So a lot of time, a lot of times I'm willing to accept maybe a little bit of brusqueness or, or, uh, he's not your best friend because he's doing something important. But I think the, the real, I think the thing that kind of throws him in the wrong on this balances it the other way is that people were taking these dangerous drugs and doing things and were enable that, that were very negative and dangerous for him and for his people and for his projects. And it was happening because of, you know, it was enabled by this structure he had built and, and had been ignoring, you know, you, you got the feeling the whole time that he knew that people were shortcutting to get what they, you know, he was putting this heavy pressure on them and he figured, well, I almost got this feeling that he was thinking, well, if they do something and it's not quite straight up and I don't know about it and nobody knows and we, and we all get what we need, we'll just call that good. Chuck, was and this that's the, not really, was this the same drug that he wasn't comfortable giving Kevin? Yeah. As he pointed out though, that it was a variant of it. Oh, like, okay. Okay. Like, right, they uh, took the drug that they would have given Kevin and distilled it down and made right. this super speed drug. Yeah, okay. exactly. So, you know so, what I'm saying though? I mean, I feel like I feel like I feel like a balance would have been better. I think I think pitting people against each other and doing that to get this high performance makes sense. But to do that, you'd also a, a real strong leader there would also be aware of the the possibility of that cheating extending beyond creativity to danger and look for that, you know? Well, now this was supposed to be the third episode. So this is his second episode <laughs> right. back. Uh, granted, he had previously been at Eureka, previously been in the director job. Right, right. So your statement that he had created and had managed the structure has both validity and he had been gone for a while. I don't know. Did they say ever say how long he had been gone? No, but I, I think the thing that I makes me feel like he's responsible for it is that that meeting with Fargo, where he seemed very knowledgeable of it, very comfortable with what was happening. That was kind of what what I based my thought on. You know, I don't. Did he know what was going on in that meeting in Fargo? All he knew was that his guy was going to show up on time. He didn't know why. Right, but what I'm saying is, is like okay, it was clear that it was his intent to build a high stress, high competition environment like okay. that. I think a guy like him is plenty smart enough to know that that also that the yes, it's going to push people to the edge, and yes, that's good, but it's a line you'd have to ride, right? Because people might also cheat to the point where they endanger themselves or others. Yeah, if you're going to that happens all the time at your right. If you're going to create that sort of atmosphere, you have to lay lay the facts down hard. That do not do anything illegal. Do not do anything. Uh, that would uh, be too risky to jeopardize your yeah. products, and that was missing. So and for monitor for it. And I, in a way, it's less like he's a jerk or something that he just doesn't care. I more believe that it was just a mischaracterization of him because he strikes me later as the kind of person who would have ridden that line. He would have been monitoring them, you know, right. and looking for that situation, and everybody would have been pissed at him, but he actually would have had it under control, you know? Right. It's interesting, Fargo's little crack about, you know, tell that to Nancy Kerrigan. That was funny. It's <laughs> funny. Great. It's really funny, but it also has, a, a like, a serious component, too, because, yeah. you know, all, that whole thing with her getting her knees bashed in was, you know, due to, like competitiveness in excess yeah. you know, people who take competitiveness too far and they step outside the bounds of what they 
yeah, should God. do as, as moral people. And this is weird. I, I actually thought about this a lot lately because it seems like any a lot of systems are based on competitiveness and filters, right? They're like emerging systems that are built on that. The competitiveness drives everyone toward a particular goal and that drive you know, generates all these various options. The, the competition filters them and it enables us to do things we can't do otherwise. And a lot of really cool systems are based on that. Everything from, you know, politics in almost every place in the world that has any kind of self-determinancy, be it, you know, uh, all the variants that are out there, right? Or, uh, you know, our capitalism in terms of, of, of money and, and the, and the way, way all of that works. But there seems to be a line, right? And once you... Uh, once you cross that line, and, and that line seems to be determined by the rules, right? If the rules are written well, then the competition can be very beneficial to everyone involved, even the people who lose. Whereas once we get to the point where we are willing to break the rules and the rules no longer contain the, the competition, then it runs away with itself and it almost always just eats itself. That is a great big deal to do with oversight as well. And you're talking about an isolated town that doesn't see a lot yeah. of visitors. <laughs> you know, one coworker once told me, and, and I will forever respect him for it because it's really stuck with me, don't do anything that you would be embarrassed if it showed up on 60 Minutes <laughs> or 2020 or, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Don't, do, don't do anything Publicly. that you would be embarrassed about if it was divulged out to the public like expose like you screwed up. So uh, as far as the um, uh, Eureka goes, that is just lacking because there's no publicity of, yeah. of what goes on. They're so buried that right. they're, they operate under the premise that no one will ever see it. Right. Yeah. And thought about that. Juan, what do you think about that? Juan? Mm. I don't know. one's one's like huh what what i have no opinion on the matter no i i I just feel like you know like that competition is really cool in there but then it once everybody starts breaking the rules or they don't monitor for the rules or something like that it runs away and bad crap happens you know same thing with politics you know the competition is great and 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 it weeds out you know and and helps select but then every now and then everybody ignores the rules or just finds a way to make it happen anyway. And then the competition no longer works. You know, it gets scary. Was yeah. it just me or the accident site? Has that been used several times in the series? Yeah. Where is that one? <laughs> what? <laughs> the, the, the where, accident. Where the car wreck was. And, and it's where like in the, in the pilot episode, it's where the uh, dog almost causes them to veer off the road. And that's, I, I, I'm not sure specifically where it is. It looks like just a random, uh, random side road in North van. Uh, Must be easily accessible to the production crew because it's used several times. Yeah. Yeah. Shooter was pointing yeah. out that it's like, and it's funny. I, I, I was kidding when, when, after he said that, when we were watching the episode that it was like, you want to solve a lot of problems, just, don't let anybody near that bridge because <laughs> all kinds of bad crap happens at that bridge. I got yeah, the I'm sense not sure that, where the bridge is. Oh, I, I got the sense that that's the main road going in and out of town, like the only one. So like everything happens in there because all the other roads have like 20 mile an hour speed limits and, and our resident, <laughs> you know, like are right in Eureka. So that's the only one that has like a high speed limit and everything happens there, I figure. I don't know. It's isolated. I don't know. It's, you know? it's, it's, it's a feasible. Ro- it's a road with like a little creek running through it and uh, and a little bridge and, and a bunch of trees. That's 
that that's got to be easy to narrow it down to where it is. <laughs> oh yeah, that doesn't describe like all of BC. <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole place. One's like basically everybody funny? around here knows where that is, <laughs> and they all know different places where that is, and they're all right. <laughs> and they're all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know. This was, it's kind of funny. Some of these episodes, uh, when I watch them now, like this one, I, I, you know, certainly not my favorite and, and, uh, and reading about why it kind of makes sense. But I remember the first time through still getting a, getting a kick out of it. You know, I, I think, I think through that lens of, of newness, when this is your first time through, uh, this episode still does help you understand people a little bit, even if it was out of order and even if it was a little weird. I feel like this episode's kind of weirdness or whatever it does get shaken off again. It was supposed to be earlier, so it, it feels almost like a little bit of a snap back. But there's that weirdness because they're trying to be darker than they really settle into yeah. later. So that kind of like, is that a body or it used to be? And that kind of creepiness and all that. Like, that's going to pretty much fade out over the course of, of place, the... F- actually, yeah. 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 yeah, like so oh, over good. the course I of... Oh, good. I found the- an ear. and i think that that's kind of what makes that discordant feeling you know because that was never really the show's real heart and soul and there's still a little bit of it lingering you know and and it's going to get kind of washed out and they're really going to find their feet soon here yeah although one thing henry does have that aloof you know wacky professor sort of persona going on in this episode where he's he's like being the sneaky little guy and taking the uh, image of the body and you know with both the announcement on the Monday morning minute and and being the announcer of the baseball game I he definitely wasn't full well-rounded but it was nice to see Henry acting like that because to me that's Henry's true personality the, yeah before he gets all wrapped up in his life getting screwed over 73 different ways right 17 different timelines yeah, yeah. Hey, it's a new timeline. How do you know? Well, Henry screwed up in a new and unusual <laughs> way. <laughs> Poor Henry. Juan is like the Henry pro. I mean, I when Juan was down here visiting last, we were talking about the character of Henry, and he had all kinds of stuff to... Like, I felt enlightened about Henry, you know, after that conversation. But yeah, he, he does cool. kind of start out as like a... What? I said cool. <laughs> yeah. I think Henry Sorry, might be... Everybody, how many for how many of you is Henry like one of your favorite characters, if not your favorite character? He's one of my favorites, definitely. You know, I, I gotta admit, like I, I I like Henry a lot, but ever since the um, the thing that he does basically with the timeline before season four, like the erasing it from Carter and all that, yeah. Ever since then, do you remember in Deep Space Nine when you think that Odo is trustworthy? <laughs> You and then ne- yeah. he screws over like the resistance team by hooking I up with that I never trusted. You're right. I never trusted him after that. I just after yeah after that I have a hard time trusting Henry. So you know he's yeah. not he's not my favorite character, but I, I like him a lot. You know, and I the think thing he's is, a is rich that Henry's character. motivations are based on his passions, and that is can be a good and a bad thing. Good point. Yeah, it's like it's good when he's like, oh yeah, I love being a. Uh, forensic analysis guy and and oh i oh yeah i do get around to being a mechanic you know when i when it's a slow day or whatever but uh then it's also like my love is dead i'm gonna go nuts and screw everything up for everyone else just so i can be happy <laughs> yeah h-a-p-p-e-h it's important <laughs> happy. Happy. it's different than happy it's <laughs> happy. Happy. happy you have to put the accent on this happy 
Yeah, he's yeah. he can be a little like unstable, I guess. Yeah, it it can yeah it can be a good thing, but it can be a very 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 bad thing. But I, I can totally see like you know when you say that someone's my favorite character, I don't assume yeah. that means that you think they're the best person on no, earth, but rather true. you think that they make the the coolest contribution or something. Well, exactly. It's like that example that I just forgot from that other show, where <laughs> the guy isn't a good person at all, but he makes the show really really interesting. <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about that, that guy from that other show yeah like all of them right <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's always almost all good shows have a guy like that like yeah Baltar the guy on uh, well Baltar is a great example yeah yeah or, or the I can't remember the guy's name but the doctor on SGU um, oh yeah right oh um so, Rush yeah, do- yeah. Dr. Rush <laughs> if only if only. <laughs> well, guys, we should probably wrap up. Uh, any ending thoughts from anyone? Nope. <laughs> I don't know, think about that Concise for a moment. as always. Uh, nope. <laughs> I am glad to see uh, this kind of early Zoe still being a rebel getting out of the way. Because it is a lot more rewarding later on to see her uh, become the, like, step into the role of the person that she is inside. You know, the, the intelligent young woman who's, you know, making her way. And you, you almost see it just a little bit, like, the fact that she has her mobile device and she knows about the morning minute or whatever it is. You can see her trying to fit in, you know, and these are the very early stages. So I'm I'm looking forward to watching that transformation. Oh, yeah. I love to be rewatching these episodes of Eureka. I've only watched the series through once. So I've been rewatching with the podcast and it, it's been very enlightening and uh, very fun. And I enjoy listening to the podcast and uh, well, thank, thank, you. thank you guys for doing it. Thanks for being here with us today. Indeed. Yep. Indeed. I'm watching the episode. It was fun hanging out watching the episode today. Yeah, and th- thanks for having me here. It's, it's been fun. Of course. Well, Uh, We will see everyone next week. From everyone here at Save Eureka and GWC, thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch Eureka or other fun shows with some of the friendliest people in geekdom, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. We'd love to hear from you as well. If you have something to add to the show, give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229. And follow the instructions there to leave us a message for inclusion in a future podcast. Financial support from listeners like you keep all GWC podcasts on the net each week. To find out how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash donate.